0: everybody, and welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, as always, Carrie Parker, and we've got a great interview show for you today. We're going to be talking with Jacob Andrews Hoffman from the EFF, and we're going to be talking about hacking elections. Uh, this is something I've talked a little bit about recently because it came up at the DEF CON conference again this year, the second year of them doing their uh, vote hacking village, which is their kind of concerted effort to show that many of our election systems that are currently in use today are highly susceptible to interference. Um and while we've talked about this subject before with uh two different presidents of verifiedvoting.org, uh Marion Schneider and Barbara Simons, um, we're gonna be talking today with a technologist from the EFF and get a little bit more into the techie aspects of it and why these things are so vulnerable and what it is we need to do to fix this. And there's actually a couple really promising bills in front of uh, Congress, one more than the other. Um and we'll be talking about those as well so you can uh, you'll have some homework if you if you get fired up about this you can go out there and push uh, your Congress critter to support one or both of these bills because uh, we we really need to, to make some changes in our system and we tried to do this back in the early 2000s uh, after the whole Bush Gore Florida debacle I don't know what else to call it um, When, you know, we had to do all these recounts and they were looking at these hanging chads and they were trying to figure out what people actually meant to vote. And uh, while those were paper ballots, they're the wrong kind of paper ballots. And so as part of that, uh, as a fallout from that, um, Congress got together and said, hey, we need to fix this. And so they threw a lot of money at the states. But unfortunately, they didn't really think through about what the ideal uh, voting system is, certainly from a security standpoint. And that has become extremely important in recent, uh, in recent years, as our election systems have been the target of foreign adversaries. And uh, so what do we do about that? How do we fix this? And actually, there's some very simple solutions to this, and it's really not that hard. Uh, we just have to get the political will and the finances to do it, and there's no time like the present. So let's not delay uh, any longer. Let's talk with Jacob from the EFF and find out what we need to do. All right. Here we are with Jacob Hoffman Andrews. He's a senior staff technologist at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, one of my faves, of course. Uh, and today we're going to talk to him about why our current election systems are so vulnerable to hacking and tampering. Welcome, Jacob.
1: Hey, Carrie. Uh, thanks. It's good to be on your podcast.
0: Yeah. Uh, of course, I've, <laughs> I think I'm just like working my way through the EFF phone book. I've talked, to, <laughs> I've talked to so many of you guys, but you guys are really good about getting back to me and it's always great to have you on. So I really appreciate it. Um, okay. So let, let's just dive right in and one of the things that i, I want to talk to about it because i know it's it's all over the news and uh we hear we hear about it a lot now and that's this russian meddling so we've you know we've the news talks about russian meddling in the 2016 election and you know perhaps again in the coming 2018 elections when they say meddling what do they what do they really mean in this context and what is it you know what is it we believe the russians are actually trying to do and do we have any proof that they've succeeded at doing any of these things
1: sure so Uh, I think there's a few things that are top of mind for most people who are talking about Russian meddling. Uh, There's during the 2016 elections, there was uh, some uh, phishing that a lot of people have linked to uh, outside groups uh, trying to manipulate the election uh, by releasing uh, internal emails from the DNC. Mm -hmm. Um, There have also been reports from 2016 of attempts to uh, access voter registration databases uh, and the best information available suggests that uh, those attacks uh, may have succeeded in reading data, but probably not tampering data. Okay. Um, more recently, there have been some uh, similar reports of attacks on voter registration systems, although I believe those later turned out to be uh, internal, uh, internal tests, although I might be mixing up two stories there. Mm. But the long story short is there's a lot of different ways you can try to manipulate an election. One is just through uh, propaganda and favoring one side or another, but the area we tend to focus on, because we're the Electronic Frontier Foundation, is <laughs> how you do it electronically. And one of the issues we've been pushing on for years is the specific vulnerabilities of voting machines.
0: Yeah, yeah and yeah, so we're definitely going to dig into that since you're being a technologist. So... In what ways would you say that our current uh, systems are most vulnerable? What is, it, what is it about our systems that would be most prone or vulnerable to uh, external attack?
1: So I think one of the big concerns, obviously, is the voter registration databases we talked about. Those are often more online and connected. And if somebody can gain uh, access to those, they could tamper with the voter rolls and disenfranchise people. So that's a huge risk, and I think the best fixes there are kind of basic cybersecurity measures like keeping software up to date, ensuring that staff doesn't have more access than they need, and ensuring that people use phishing-resistant methods to log in. Like, to get a little technical uh, of the um, FIDO uh, uh, Mm two-factor style, these are often called security keys. Um, So in general, two-factor authentication is great, but In particular, the latest technology uses what was called U2F, Universal Second Factor, and is now called WebAuthn, or Web Authentication. And instead of the six-digit codes you might copy from your phone to your computer, this actually uses often a USB device, which communicates with the browser and ensures that it doesn't share your two-factor codes with a site other than the site you're intending to uh, log into.
0: Okay, so there's a lot of things there that, that I'd like to unpack. Yeah. So, um, first of all, why you mentioned getting into the voter registration databases and dis- disenfranchising people. Tell, get a little bit more detail out. Like if I'm a Russian hacker and I want to throw an election or I want to tip an election one way or another, what would I be doing in the voter registration rules? What would I be trying to do and how would that manifest itself either on election day or r- on the run-up to the election? What would that look like?
1: Sure. So, uh, you would – Probably do this in the run-up to the election, um, and you try to get in and find subsets of people that you think are more likely to vote for the candidate that you oppose. Uh, and you would at random select some sample to remove from the database to tip the election a few points one way or another, which is often all that's required in close elections.
0: Mm. Um, one of the other things that I that I think is missed uh, when we talk about these uh, you know, rigged elections or or, or getting into to the voter uh, machines or whatever is is not even so much successfully doing these things, but it's a psychological warfare sort of thing as well, right? I mean, it, it, if I can just erode the trust that the election was valid, I've I've probably I've I've probably done a lot of damage.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know this is one of the reasons we focus a lot on uh, securing uh election systems is because when those systems are more secure and when the public can see that they're more secure you know the public has more confidence that those elections were conducted fairly and that their votes were accurately counted
0: okay so we talked a little bit about the um the the hacking the the, the um the voter registration stuff and then we talked about ways to protect that and you got a little bit into the two-factor stuff and some some kind of technical terms so uh, i wanted to pack that a little bit too um so basically, we've talked about two-factor authentication on the show quite a bit because it's something that's uh, I've pushed a lot for my listeners, and that is basically it's it's a second step of verification, right? It's defense in depth. So it's not just you know first we were used to having a, a username and password, and and that was supposedly enough to to validate who we were and that we weren't somebody else, but but today because there have been so many phishing attacks and people using bad passwords and whatever. Uh, we've come up with this, this these other techniques, um, some of which are like you mentioned, like a, you have an app on your phone that either gives you that gives you a temporary uh, six digit code, or maybe you get a code that's uh, sent to you via text message um, that you enter as well. So the idea there being that you would have to be in possession of that person's phone. Uh, uh to have the second factor so that's a that's a second layer of defense and then you're talking about even taking that a step further and that is uh some of these things uh fido and some of the other things are actually little usb nuggets little keys they actually, some of them actually physically look like keys uh that you put in your computer that push that when you push a button dumps out one of these numbers as well is that correct uh
1: yeah it's uh they don't generally generate uh the number on your screen but they'll do uh, uh they'll communicate with your browser and with the site you're trying to access. So you won't actually see any data going through, but it will be there. And to go into a little more detail about why that's an improvement is, you know, if you have an app that's generating a code and you type that code into a website, you could easily wind up being tricked into typing that into Mm -hmm. a phishing website, Mm -hmm. just the same as you're tricked into typing your password.
0: Sure, right. Good point. Okay, so hacking. One of the things that made a lot of news uh, this year as well as last year actually was Defcon, which is an annual uh, conference of hackers. And one of the things they started, I don't know if it started last year, but I know last year that really kind of made uh, some splashes in the the headlines. Uh, And again, this year that they created a voting hack, a vote hacking village is what they called it. And now I talked a little bit about the show last week because invariably when the mainstream media gets a hold of stories like this, they, I think they, they they pick up the wrong things and they blow a lot of these things out of proportion. Like for instance, there were all sorts of these headlines about this 11 year old who hacked the Florida state secretary of state's website and changed vote totals. You know, what they didn't say was that it was actually a mock-up of the Florida state site. And I think actually in some of these cases, they actually inserted, they made sure that there were bugs to be found that because you know, they're kids, (laughs) you know, so they kind of set them up to succeed. Uh, so, talk to me a little bit about, it, if you can, what actually went on at these things. What are they doing? What are they trying to show? Are these are these really real attacks, or is just some sort of a, a a demonstration to try to draw attention to the issue?
1: Yeah. So I think uh, what's going on in the voting village is this cool mix of both education and research, right? So you have people who are coming in, learning about voting machine security for the first time. And people demonstrating, okay, well, here's some some basic level stuff that we found before. Or if you have physical access to these machines, here's some stuff you might do. Uh, and at the same time, you also have people who are saying, okay, well, what's some stuff we don't know? You know, we have these machines here. We're going to try to explore and find security flaws in them, so we can make them better, or you know, perhaps conclude that they're not useful at all, and we should convince states and election authorities to ditch a given type of election machine. Uh, type of voting machine uh or to change technologies altogether
0: and they have a hard time getting these machines because uh, from my understanding the you know there's a couple of big companies debold is one uh, uh what was the other that was just recently in the news um E S N S. Yes, E S so N S. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, so uh, that they make these machines, and and to my knowledge, they are not forthcoming in in providing these. Let's say to the Defcon Hacky Village. These guys have had to go to eBay or auctions at Secretary of States or uh, whatever to try to pick up secondhand machines to get a hold of them because they otherwise can't get a hold of them. Why is that?
1: Yeah, the some of these firms show really a shocking disconnect with the mainstream of the security research community. Um, the you know, well-accepted norm for years has been that security through obscurity is no security at all. Hmm. And that uh, for third parties to do research on your software or your hardware and tell you, hey, here's this problem, is uh, actually a big favor they're doing to you and is also a a service to the public who may be using that software or hardware. Um, You know, for these companies, you know, It's as if somebody came and told them they had spinach between their teeth and they said, you know, (laughs) (laughs) go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You know, they would rather not hear about these flaws from the public because it's embarrassing for them and it makes it harder for them to sell machines. But it's critically important that the public hear about these flaws. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and so there are actually four senators who sent a letter to Yes, asking them some uh, rather pointed questions about whether they would make available at reasonable cost machines to states and counties who wish to probe them for vulnerabilities before making a large purchase, and also to independent security researchers. Uh, and es and turned around and tried to um, throw some shade at uh, the researchers who did this and said, well, we think they're spies, which is <laughs> bogus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and and we've talked about it in the show multiple times because we've we've talked about encryption, and, and in fact, recently, and and the whole point of a lot of these algorithms, if they if they can't stand up to scrutiny by independent third parties, they're not that good to begin with. And, uh, you know, we talked about encryption algorithms on the show and, and how the algorithms themselves are completely public and, the, and the, the point being that they need to be vetted. And and and, and it's not, like you said, subs- security through obscurity doesn't work. You can't, because otherwise, once someone figures out the, it's like a magic trick. And once someone figures out the magic trick, anybody can do it. And it, it just takes all the, takes all the mystery away. <laughs> and we don't want that. We don't want a single point of failure. We don't want, these uh, things to happen, so it just it is. It's definitely shocking to me that we haven't figured this out. And uh, just to give an example, so there was the you know overpublicized thing about the you know the 11 year old girl that hacked the the you know, Florida State website. Of course, what they didn't go on to say is that it was just a replica of the site, and actually these sites don't actually hold the real data that's reported; it's just for media and whatever. But some of the things I did see that did look kind of scary. Um, was uh, I watched a video of, of a reporter who stood by a machine and without special tools, within two minutes, was able to pull out a hard drive uh, from a voting machine and, because, and cause it to reboot. And when it rebooted, because there was no drive, it went into some sort of a fail-safe mode that gave it full administrator access to the device. <laughs> um, did, I don't know, Was that, that looked real to me. You know, what, what other things came out maybe from the DEF CON thing that were actually real things we should be worried about?
1: I mean, I think the overall result of the two voting villages that have been held now at DEF CON is a realization that not only are these uh voting machines hard to secure, they it, it may just not be practical to secure under kind of the current software ecosystem. Um, I think one of the commonplaces in security is that there is no perfect security. Mm-hmm. And we really need extremely good security for our elections because they are so critical to how we run our country. And so I think the, the trend has been uh, away from giving exclusive trust to voting machines and making sure you always have a paper backup. So right. uh, if there is an attempt to alter vote counts or assign votes to the wrong candidate, uh, you have a way to find it.
0: Right, yeah, and that's a, In the past, we've talked to both uh, Barbara Simons and Marian Schneider, who both were presidents at the time of Verified Voting, um, and that is something obviously that, that they've been pushing a couple different things. One of them is paper ballots, mm-hmm. um, which is you know some way for you to actually go back and verify you know what was actually done and not just trust what a machine says. Uh, because in five states currently, I think there's still five states in the U.S. that have completely electronic voting. There is no paper trail. If those, if you go back and want to audit something, you're going to have to trust the machine is telling you the truth, and that's obviously the point, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so the, the other thing is it, is, it seems ironic, I think, in this modern age, people think, you know, in fact, this is what actually happened in 2000, right? When after the hanging Chad debacle in Florida, you know, the government threw hundreds of million dollars at the states and said fix your voting systems. And a lot of them decide, oh, well, obviously we want to move into the modern age. Let's go fully electronic. And, and that's really, that was actually a step backwards.
1: Uh, yeah exactly. I think you know there were some voting systems in use then that were problematic, but I think the let's make everything
0: electronic was definitely the the wrong step uh, so the other thing that verified voting is pushing is what they're calling risk limiting audits. That sounds like a very technical term, and it's hard to kind of parse that as a as a layman. what Can you tell us what that's about how that works and what that is uh, what that prevents?
1: Sure, so the basic idea is you know say you have uh, a paper record, but nobody ever looks at it. You might as well not have a paper record, right? Um, and we saw in well, so essentially, you want to make sure that there's always an audit. Somebody's always looking at the paper, the paper record of the votes. But that can get really expensive you, to have humans looking at physical paper for a lot of votes in a relatively short amount of time. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of money. And so, risk limiting audits are a way to use st- statistics to count a smaller number of paper ballots while achieving very high confidence that if there's a machine miscount, that you'll actually catch it in the hand count. So basically the inputs are you know, how many people voted, what was the margin of victory? Was it 0.1% or was it 10%? Uh, and based on that, there's a simple formula you can use to randomly select a small sample of ballots from each batch. And if the numbers from that count closely match up to the machine counted answer You say, okay, it looked good. And if those numbers diverge, uh, the formula leads you to count more and more ballots until either the numbers have converged again, or you've counted the whole set and realized the machine's miscounted. And here's the actual hand counted tally.
0: Gotcha. What about electronic voting? Uh, there, there's you know, being, again, it's kind of the, the mindset from the 2000. There, there are some, some people that are pushing internet voting. <laughs> and I know that verified voting is yeah. what it gets that. What about internet voting?
1: EFF is unequivocal. Uh, internet voting is a bad idea. And uh, I can go into detail about why. Please yeah. do. So, um, you know, essentially the problem with uh, touchscreen voting or with uh, electronic voting machines is they might be hacked, mm-hmm. right? And the notion with internet voting is that you'll vote from your laptop or your phone or some device that you own which also might be hacked, and in fact has a much higher chance because, you know, most people don't have a cybersecurity background, Mm. right? They have no way to ensure their devices are, uh, you know, kind of kept clean. Um, But even beyond that, uh, you know, adding that layer of uh, internet connectivity just provides a lot more surface area for other types of attacks. For instance, you don't have to uh, attack people's laptops and phones You could uh, attack the devices, the servers, that are receiving the votes Mm. instead and tamper the votes before they land on the servers. Or you could conduct kind of phishing style attacks where you send somebody a link and say, hey, this is where you vote. Go click here and then you voted, but it's a completely fake site and their vote hasn't been counted Mm. at all. Or you could selectively perform a DDoS attack. Uh, DDoS is for distributed denial of service. Uh, against certain neighborhoods or certain people to prevent them from accessing the online voting systems on election day. So it's just too much risk. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Good. Thanks for covering that. So it's widely believed by our current president and uh, and many others that there is a massive in-person voter fraud in this country. Uh, that is, people voting that should either shouldn't be voting or some person voting, you know, more than one time. Uh, and yet, I've seen other studies that say. There was only like 13 confirmed cases of in-person voter fraud between 2000 and 2010, despite 600 650 million votes cast. Which is it?
1: (laughs) Um, The more authoritative sources I've seen seem to cite the uh, evidence that there's not significant amounts of voter fraud in practice.
0: And uh, I think what a lot of people miss is, uh, practically speaking, it just doesn't make sense. If I was going to really, if I was Russia and I was going to try to hack an election, you know, trying to get you know, one person to go in and either vote one more time or two more times than they should, or vote when they shouldn't. It, first of all, it carries massive federal penalties and it's, you're much more likely to get caught. And second, the, the, the electronic systems, it seems like to be much better to like, to hack the systems to, to vote. When I push this one, it actually pushes that one kind of thing. That would be much harder to trace and be able to have a much bigger effect. And anyway, can we love our conspiracy theories in this country? <laughs> 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 so, uh, back a little bit to the to the machines. Um, why is it that it seems like we can't? You know, I know that a lot of states consider it a states' rights issue that the federal government should not be telling them how to run their elections. Um, but it seems like at least for federal, na- you know, for national voting, national elections, that there's a role for the federal government to at least set minimum standards and to require some third-party vetting. What why have we not managed to do that? What is is? Is it a political thing? Is it is it corporate, you know, interests somehow that don't want this to happen, or is it just naivete? Why why can't we kind of get past that? So
1: there's a bill uh, that's working its way through the Senate right now called the Secure Elections Act, uh, which provides for a number of things. Um, it provides some uh, basic cybersecurity measures for. The sort your kind of standards, keeping your systems up to date, performing scans, that type of stuff. Uh, it provides a swifter path of clearance for secretaries of state who for state secretaries of state who are uh, responsible for their state's election mm-hmm. systems. But the part that is particularly interesting is it included grants for states to uh, implement voting systems that had that have uh, paper backups mm-hmm. uh, and also to implement risk-limiting audits, which are kind of the two most important measures that really need to be in place to have a lot of uh, trust in our mm-hmm. elections. And uh, that seemed to be going pretty well. Uh, it had uh, bipartisan support. And unfortunately, it was pulled from consideration, well, it, it put on hold, it was delayed, seemingly because of some opposition by the National Association of Secretaries of State. And they framed their response in terms of states' rights, but there really wasn't anything in this bill telling states, you must Mm. implement your actions these ways. It was more, here are some best practices we'd like to see all of the states catch up with, and here's some money to make it happen, and here's an advisory group that will help you make it happen. Hmm. So I think that argument doesn't really hold a lot of water.
0: So where does that – so it's currently uh, – I think this was actually very recent. In fact, this was what led me to you. I read your article on this on the, from the EFF uh, about the um, about this act. Is it likely – first of all, nothing they're going to do now is going to be in time for 2018 elections, correct? Right, Yeah. So this would be for 2020, or hopefully by 2020, and it's the kind of thing that the government does this all the time, where they kind of say, you know, we're not going to tell you how to do this, but if you want money from us, here's here are the stipulations, right? And so I think that's how they kind of get around some of the, the, the states' rights issues, and it's not like that's what they did here, but but, but for whatever reason, the uh, the pushback from the 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 state secretary of states was enough to is it is it dead? Is the bill dead, or is it just you said it was postponed? What does that really mean? Is it is it gonna? What's its chances of survival at this point?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good question. I think there's definitely um, a strong possibility for it to come back if the if various senators hear from their constituents that this is a bill that they want. So I should clarify, by the way, there's there's actually two two problems that befell this bill. One is uh, it was amended to remove the uh, strong incentives for paper records and risk limiting audits. So the bill, as it currently stands, it has been gutted, mm-hmm. as we see it. Uh, and then additionally, it was delayed. So it's kind of twice injured. And I think our position is that, as it currently stands, it's not a good bill and we don't support it. Uh, we would like to see those provisions added back in, uh, in which case we would support it. There's also uh, another bill, the PAVE Act, uh, introduced by uh, Ron Wyden, uh, which has similar provisions for paper ballots and risk-limiting audits. And so as that bill currently stands we can support that one. So there's kind of a a two-pronged approach there, you know, either fix the Secure Elections Act or support the PAVE
0: Act. Yeah, Ron Wyden said some really great stuff. Um, I I liked it. If his name's on it, I usually like the bell. Yeah. Okay, so we talked a little bit about paper ballots and, and some of the, the problems with electronic voting machines. Uh, obviously, in this program, we talk a lot about the Internet of Things and how, you know, taking what normally were dumb devices and hooking up the Internet was not always a great idea, especially when you had not considered security in the mix. Because, you know, it's one thing to have an electronic device that would otherwise require physical access to uh, in order to uh, t- to tamper with. But as soon as you connect it to any sort of a network... Uh, any sort of, even wireless, even so as Bluetooth, uh, that's, that you've opened it up to all sorts of other attacks. Uh, I'm curious are there what are, the, what are the wireless attack angles for some of our current systems? Is that where they're, are they vulnerable in that way as well?
1: Well, a lot of people uh, don't pay enough attention to uh, the most old-fashioned network called Sneakernet, <laughs> which is used to be you would take a floppy out of one machine and you would walk <laughs> it across the room to another machine and put it in there. And we don't use floppy disks anymore, but we do use thumb drives and SD cards. And in fact, that's how voting machines get the data on who are the candidates and what are the races and what should be shown to the voters. So before every election, there's communication between those machines and some other computer where an election official typed in the ballot and got it set up. And so there's a, a data bridge there. And if that uh, thumb drive or if that SD card has Malicious data on it. If the voting machine has a vulnerability, it's possible that card could be used to exploit that vulnerability and tamper with it that way. And so then the question is, well, how did that how did that memory device, how did that thumb drive or SD card get the malicious data on mm-hmm. it in the first place? Well, it might have gotten it from the machine that the data that was used to kind of build the election data, which in turn is often on the internet. So. And this is not a far-fetched notion. We have seen malware in the wild that is designed to bridge air gaps. Uh, So an air gap is a notion of a machine that is never connected Mm. to the internet for security reasons. So the most famous of these, of course, was Stuxnet, which was this malware that was designed to spread and specially target a particular type of machine that was in use in Iranian um, nuclear uh, refinement processes. And it very successfully crossed an air gap from internet-connected machines to non-internet-connected machines. Yeah,
0: and to be clear, that I think the way that worked is, and, and scientists have shown that this is a great way to infect a company, is that you just take some you take some thumb drives, some fancy, nice-looking thumb drives, put some malware on it, leave them in the parking lot. <laughs> People will pick it up, and the first thing they'll do is they'll take it in. The, hey, I wonder what's on this. Right. Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> so this, this obviously is highly technical and, and it requires, it should require significant training and expertise to keep these things uh, secure, but we don't seem to, state seems re- re- resistance to, to accept this, or maybe, maybe I'm wrong, it, it, you know, maybe there are, you know, seminars for these people that are getting them trained up, but that I'm, that I'm not aware of, which is possible, but it, so is that the solution? Do we, do we, do these guys all, you know, the secretary of state's need to send their tech people to, you know, some sort of. Training class for these things, or do we need to have? And this again probably sounds like a states' rights invasion. That, do we need to have federal, you know, trained agents on site to assist? What? How do we solve that problem?
1: Well, and so this is actually one of the provisions that's still in the Secure Elections Act is uh, to provide a panel of technical experts um, that can provide recommendations for best practices and guidelines on protecting local election systems. And so that would provide that expertise to the states so that they could. Then follow those guidelines to secure their systems better um, that, that seems like a positive approach
0: yeah though I mean I'm a software engineer and i've been to a lot, I've been to a lot of classes and and uh, it some of these things just really you know it's not something you just you know take a few uh, three or four hour class and be good for the rest of your life I mean this is you need to be working this stuff every day i, I personally I would love to see experts on site you know as in advisory roles maybe but but nevertheless you know because I'm sure then the conspiracy people will say well they're the ones hacking and Uh, I don't know what you do. Um, all right. So just wrapping up. So I always like to give the folks some kind of hope. (laughs) What, uh, what would you recommend if, you know, if the people are fired up about this issue that they want to get involved and they want to, you know, kind of push on this, obviously, you know, contact your representatives is the standard line. Uh, other than that, what else might you recommend that people do if they want to, if they want to get out there and fight for, uh, secure elections?
1: Well, I'll get a little more specific than that. I think this is one of those uh, rare occasions when we have a truly bipartisan bill available to support. And so I think, you know, if you call your senators right now and say, you know, I would like to see secure elections happen and here's what I want, I'd either like to see paper records and risk-limiting audits added back into the Secure Elections Act uh, or I'd like to see you support the... Uh, Ron Wyden bill, the PAVE Act. Uh, there's some very specific, you know, highly uh, targeted feedback you can give them. And I think it's a bill that has enough support. They're both bills that have enough support. I think they could be effective. Also, EFF, the organization I work for, is a nonprofit. And uh, we can always use more support to make the mission happen. And of course, we're uh, close allies with verified voting, which provides a lot of Excellent data analysis and advocacy on these topics. So they're also a great organization to give Absolutely.
0: to. Absolutely, yeah. I always tell people that if they you know if they can't get out there themselves and pay, you know, pay the people to do it every day and do a good job at it, which uh, certainly you guys would fall in that camp. Well, uh, thank you very much. It was great talking to you today, and it was good to walk through some of these specifics and and, and talk about how our uh, systems are so vulnerable, unfortunately. Uh, and what we could do to fix it. It seems pretty straightforward. We just have to get out there and demand that these uh, fairly simple changes are made. So I encourage everybody to do that. And of course, uh, throw a little money at these guys as well. They're doing some great work, not just in this area, but in other areas as well. So uh, that's always a good bet. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. And talk to us today, Jacob.
1: Thanks for having me, Kai.
0: And I want to give a big thanks to Jacob for coming on the show and talking to us about uh, election security. It's so, so important. If there's there's nothing more fundamental in a democracy and then how we vote and how we count those votes and how we make sure that the, our voting has integrity. So uh, some other big news I want to make sure I mention is the third edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons is out. Uh, you can buy it right now. You can get it in your hot little hands. Uh, the ebooks are definitely all out for sure. You can find those on Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and, of course, the, at the publisher site, A-Press. And uh, as of this recording... Uh, Barnes and Noble and a press both have the paper book, uh, for order as well. Amazon, for some reason, doesn't have it yet, but it should be out very, very soon. It says October something or other, but it'll be much, much sooner than that. It'll probably be next week. So, uh, by the time you hear this, I, I even hope that it'll be ready on, on all three platforms in paperback. So this third edition, this book just keeps getting bigger and better. Um, and it's like, I think it's over 400 pages now. Uh, actually, I don't have a, I haven't got my own copy yet. Uh, they've sent me some copies that'll be in the mail soon. I can't wait to actually physically hold the thing, but that's like four over 400 pages long now and, and over 150 different tips. So I keep adding more and refining it and improving it. And of course, you know, as the year, as the years go by, there's new operating systems and new vulnerabilities and, and new things that we have to address and new, and different things become more important and other things become less important. So um, even if for some reason you've got an older copy of the book, uh, there's there's plenty of new stuff to be had in this for, in this edition. So uh, the third edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons you can find it at uh, all your favorite retailers. And if you walk into a brick and mortar store and you might ask, hey, do you have this on the shelf? Uh, or go to your local library, maybe you can uh, talk them into bringing a copy in. So um, I'm really proud of this book and really happy to have a, a a publisher behind me now. It's it's amazing all the things I took for granted and all the things that I did myself, that it's so nice to have a publisher doing. So uh, really proud of this work and uh, go out and get it, get a, get a copy for your friends and family as well. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a great guide. And if you're the kind of, if you're the family IT guy anyway, and you're answering all these questions then this book should save you a lot of time uh, just by handing it to other people. So uh, if you get the book, I'd be lovely to hear your feedback. Um, uh, if you love the book, please say so on on uh on the the websites amazon and so on give it a great review and if you have uh constructive feedback send that to me i'd love to, to take that in uh, there will be a fourth edition someday uh so i'd love to get your feedback and coming up we've got some uh some more great interviews i got scheduled so stay tuned for those and we've got some important news to cover too so uh as always i'm bringing it to you every week so everything you need to know and how to keep yourself and your family safe Uh, and maintain your privacy online as as best we can. Uh, So that'll do it for this week. Uh, Until next week, everybody, as always, stay safe, and uh, don't get caught with your dropage tab.